There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to a History of Europe Key Battles podcast. This is the Revolution of 1848, part one of four. In September 1814, opened the Congress of Vienna, which concluded the Napoleonic Wars. After two decades of warfare stemming from the French Revolution, Europe was exhausted and divided. Monarchs, heads of state, diplomats and the social elite from across Europe assembled in the Austrian capital. With the carnage of war heavy on their minds, they strived to hammer out a settlement which could deliver lasting international peace. Music was ever-present in Vienna over the long months of diplomatic wrangling, a universal language for the various nationalities and social classes. Both the privileged and the non-privileged lined up to take in the lengthy Oratorio Samson by George Friedrich Handel. They then watched Ludwig van Beethoven personally conduct his Seventh Symphony, and several other pieces, including The Glorious Moment, a cantata created to celebrate the Congress. And on the dance floors of Vienna, the wildly popular Polonaise style was enjoyed by all. After nine months of torturous negotiations, a new order emerged. The Austrians lost their part of the Netherlands, which went to the Dutch, but regained all their other territories and established control over Lombardy and Venetia in northern Italy, as well as a substantial part of the Dalmatian coastline. Austria was also given the chair of the body representing the member states of a new German confederation. This had much the same borders as the old Holy Roman Empire, but consisted of 39 states instead of more than a thousand. The Prussians gained territory in the Rhineland, including the Ruhr Valley, whose industrial resources would later provide a major boost for their new owners' economic and military power. It was part of a series of buffer states 
stretching from the Kingdom of the Netherlands to Switzerland and Piedmont Sardinia, which was intended to contain any future French expansion. Prussian strength was also increased by the acquisition of the former Swedish Pomerania, northern Saxony and the port of Danzig. Her eastern neighbour, Russia, also gained large swathes of territory in Finland, Bessarabia, modern-day Moldova, and particularly significantly in Poland. As for the smaller states, Sweden's suzerainty over Norway was recognised, and an enlarged Switzerland was guaranteed neutral status in return for an international guarantee of the Swiss constitution, which was hoped would bring an end to recent internal conflict between the cantons. As for Italy, famously described by the Count Metternich, the Chief Minister of Austria, as a geographical expression, it was split between ten kingdoms, duchies and statelets, and he saw Austria's role to keep it that way. The Congress of Vienna arranged Italian affairs so that Austria was the predominant power in the peninsula. After the long period of Napoleonic occupation, the purpose was initially to ward off French influence, but soon developed into a repression of Italian liberalism and nationalism. Only the northwestern kingdom of Sardinia, which included Piedmont and Genoa, remained completely independent. It was militarily the most powerful of all Italian states, and provided a strong buffer between France and the Austrians in Lombardy. The Vienna Peace Settlement also had to deal with the imperial possessions of the European powers. The British were able to consolidate their empire. The island of Malta gave them a key point in the Mediterranean, while Ceylon, the Cape of Good Hope and Mauritius further secured sea routes to India. The Spanish and Portuguese, soon after the Congress, would lose most of their empire as various parts of Latin America declared their independence. Their efforts to recover their lost territories were discouraged by the promulgation in the United States in 1823 of the Monroe Doctrine, which committed the USA to preventing European intervention in the affairs anywhere on the American continents. The British were able to dominate world trade and shipping for the rest of the 19th century. They did not try to exclude other nations from trading, as had been the custom in the age of mercantilism up to the late 18th century, but instead promoted free international trade. The overwhelming economic and industrial advantage over other nations ensured they would most benefit from such an arrangement. The injustice of the slave trade was a topic also much discussed. William Wilberforce and Thomas Clarkson, in particular, worked hard personally lobbying monarchs and heads of states. Across the English Channel, a petition against the trade was signed by more than one million British citizens and submitted to Parliament. At the Congress of Vienna, Clarkson circulated a tract in English and German, which persuaded the Congress to formally condemn the slave trade contrary to the principles of humanity, justice and religion.
The Vienna settlement was successful in its main goal of bringing peace to the continent, at least for a period. There was no major conflict in Europe for another 40 years, and the wars that did take place in the second half of the century were shorter and less bloody than those of the previous hundred years. There was established a network of institutions known as the Concert of Europe, where differences could be threshed out before leading to war. For the rest of the century, there was more or less an equilibrium of power between the major continental European states. Meanwhile, overseas, European colonial rivalries were now generally settled peacefully by international agreement. One significant aspect of the Congress was that it marked a fundamental shift in the relations between states. Since the French Revolution, the basis of sovereignty had shifted perceptibly from individuals and families as leaders to nations and states. Beforehand, international treaties were considered to be rendered invalid on the death of a sovereign and had to be renewed if they were not to lapse. But from 1815, treaties were concluded between states, not between individual monarchs, and remained valid after their death. In addition, dynastic marriages, such a key factor previously in geopolitics, dwindled to mere symbols of friendship between nations. Similarly, armies now owed their allegiance to states rather than to individual sovereigns. One key factor for maintaining international stability in the minds of the participants of the Congress was the suppression of internal unrest and revolution. Count Metternich of Austria in particular was obsessed with the idea of an international revolutionary conspiracy. Under his leadership, Vienna looked for a restoration of the state of affairs before 1789 and was keen to discourage the growth of liberalism or nationalism. Austria's principal partner in this endeavour was Russia, whose Tsar Alexander I was becoming increasingly religious and reactionary. Together with Prussia, they formed the so-called Holy Alliance, which committed the three powers to mutual assistance against threats to the existing order. Already in 1821, they met in Ljubljana, then known as Leibach, to authorise Austrian intervention against revolutionary outbreaks in Naples and Piedmont. In Italy, illegal secret societies such as the Carbonari attacked the dominance of Austria and the repressive nature of the local dynasties. There was also a growing sense of common national belonging and a belief that Italians should stick together against foreign influence. A similar debate was occurring in Germany, where many critics had wanted the Congress to create a new unified German state, rather than the loose confederation, and with it a number of liberal reforms. During the years of Napoleonic rule in Germany, a great number of reforms had been made, and it was not possible to reverse them all. Local and regional jurisdictions, such as those exercised by hundreds of imperial knights in the Holy Roman Empire, had been supplanted by a system of centralised bureaucracy. A Napoleonic law code had introduced key elements of equality before the law, and property rights had been strengthened. 
In the five years from 1815, a whole swathe of German states adopted constitutions with representative assemblies, and national ideas were picked up by student groups called the Burschenschaft, who wore the colours black, red and gold, and in 1817 celebrated the anniversary of Martin Luther's Reformation and translation of the Bible into vernacular German. However, after an unsuccessful assassination attempt against a government official in Nassau by a member of the Burschenschaft, Count Metternich seized this as a pretext to introduce a drastic package of repressive measures. German states were obliged to exercise close control over universities and to ban students belonging to secret societies from all universities and from employment. There was a further triumph for reaction in Germany in July 1820, when the constitution of the Confederation was revised to provide for any member state to intervene in the affairs of another to preserve order. However, although limits were put on representative institutions, they did remain. The idea of enlightened despotism had died in the French Revolution and could not be revived. And a rule-based system of administration became widely regarded as more effective than the arbitrary power of a dynast. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. War recovery of Europe was not helped by nature. In April 1815, there was a massive eruption of a volcano in Indonesia called the Tambora, which sent a vast dust cloud into the atmosphere. Particles lingered for more than two years, darkening the skies and lowering global temperatures in an event sometimes known as the Year Without a Summer in 1816. This brief period of significant climate change triggered extreme weather and harvest failures in many areas around the world. This resulted in the worst harvest to be seen in Europe for more than a century and happened when the population were already struggling to recover trade and industry after the French Revolutionary and Napoleonic Wars. 
Grain prices shot through the roof, and since bread was the staple of most people's diet, deaths from starvation were rife. Estimated in Transylvania and eastern Hungary at a cost of more than 200,000 lives. Many of the poor took the drastic decision to leave Europe altogether, many to the United States or Latin America. Malnutrition weakened people's resistance to disease, and many people died from smallpox, scurvy and typhus. Bubonic plague spread rapidly across the Balkans, reaching Italy and the Balearic Islands, where they caused devastation. Beginning in the year 1816, Europe experienced a widespread series of grain riots. In northern England and Scotland, groups of people seized grain stores and attacked the homes of millers, tradesmen and corn merchants. In many parts of France, crowds prevented the movement of grain outside their area. In Italy, granaries were looted and similar events occurred around the rest of the continent. The troubles continued even as the crisis began to subside. In August 1819, a mass public protest of up to 60,000 people at St Peter's Field in Manchester was put down by the military. Fifteen protesters were killed in what was dubbed the Peterloo Massacre, an ironic reference to the recent Battle of Waterloo. A consequence of the crisis and public unrest was that governments were compelled to adopt further welfare and relief measures. A general acceptance was created of the state's obligation to alleviate the most impoverished sectors of society. The elites, motivated by the fear of greater unrest, paid as much attention to preventing a revolution as they did to external threats. Britain's strategic concern remained the security of the British Isles, and especially the protection of the South Coast against French invasion. For now, the French government was in defensive mode, keen to recover from their exploits in the Napoleonic War. The restored French monarchy under Louis XVIII, brother of the executed Louis XV, ran into trouble almost immediately, overwhelmed by the need to get the state finances back into order. Napoleon Bonaparte, held on the island of St Helena, was unable to get involved, but remained a popular figure, above all among his former soldiers. So-called Bonapartism, in opposition to the royalist government, came to stand for patriotism, universal male suffrage, the promise of military glory and a centralised Napoleonic-style administration that dealt equally with all citizens. King Louis XVIII was intent on acting as an absolute monarch in the style of the old royalist regime. He replaced the tricolore with the royal fleur-de-lis as the official flag of France and claimed the right to dissolve Parliament at will, appoint his own ministers and alone possessed the right to declare war. Louis died in September 1824 of morbid obesity and the throne went to his younger brother who was crowned Charles X. Charles was even more reactionary than his predecessor. He increased the power of the Catholic Church and tightened press censorship, actions bound to arouse fierce opposition from liberals. At the same time in Spain, King Ferdinand VII rejected the liberal constitution and brought back the previous absolutist regime. 
In the year 1820, liberals seized power in Madrid and compelled King Ferdinand to rule as a constitutional monarch. But three years later, they were overwhelmed by French troops, who had been sent over by King Louis XVIII to restore the royal absolutism of his fellow Bourbon. Meanwhile, in Italy, many of Napoleon's reforms were abolished in the Duchy of Modena and the Papal States. Pope Pius VII fiercely rejected any modern innovation and went so far as to get rid of street lighting and vaccination against smallpox. On the face of it, Russia was the least likely place in Europe for liberal ideas to take hold. However, during the occupation of Paris, many Russian army officers had learnt Western ideas of constitutional government and civil liberties. On their return home, a number of them joined secret societies where ideas were discussed such as the abolition of serfdom and public trials in open courts. One group called the Union of Welfare wrote a draft constitution for Russia based loosely on that of the USA. When Tsar Alexander I died, he was succeeded by his younger brother, Nicholas. The reputation of Nicholas as a reactionary spurred a group to mount a coup before he could be crowned. Known as the Decembrists, after a month in which the event took place, they mustered 3,000 men in Moscow, who were confronted by troops loyal to Nicholas. After a series of negotiations failed, Nicholas ordered three artillery pieces to open fire, with devastating effect. To avoid the slaughter, the rebels broke and ran. Some attempted to regroup on the frozen surface of the River Neva to the north. However, they were targeted by the artillery and suffered many casualties, and the revolt came to an end. For all their egalitarian ideals, the Decembrists represented a tiny elite largely cut off from the rest of society, for whose benefit they strived, and so never achieved enough popular support. They were unable to find the middle road between the empire which had raised them and the people they wished to serve. For the new Tsar, the Decembrist revolt, if anything, caused him to become more reactionary. Nicholas I saw himself as the gendarme of Europe, prepared to stamp down on liberal or nationalist movements anywhere on the continent. He founded a secret police known as the Third Society, whose main task was surveillance. Civilians and public officials were monitored for any signs of dissent. This created an atmosphere where it took a brave soul to express himself openly. Intellectuals and writers had to be extremely cautious about sharing ideas. When, for example, the liberal intellectual Petra Chadayev criticised Russia for its backwardness, he met the fate of many later Soviet dissidents. The government declared him insane and confined him to an asylum. The great Russian poet Alexander Pushkin was tolerated because the Tsar liked his work, but he also had to tread carefully. Throughout the continent of Europe, a generation of individuals from the educated elite and the younger echelons of the military officer class, inspired by ideals of liberty and national sovereignty, had taken the lead in movements of national liberation and liberal reform. However, in the 1820s, they represented only a small part of the educated classes and lacked real popular support. Where ordinary people in town and country 
did rise up against authority, it was for their own direct interests, rather than for more theoretical ideas proclaimed by the revolutionaries. Nevertheless, their activities created real nervousness among the ruling classes, which was a factor in keeping the concert of Europe together for all the rivalries and differences between its leading powers. At the end of the 1820s, the settlement reached in Vienna was under pressure, but fundamentally it was still intact. My name is Carl Rylett and you've been listening to History of Europe Key Battles podcast. If you enjoyed the show, why not give it a good review on iTunes or wherever you have listened to the podcast. If you'd like to help support the show, please visit patreon.com slash history europe. The first music from today was from Frederick Chopin and the Polonaise in A-flat major. And later, you listen to the Symphony No. 5 of Franz Schubert. Thank you for listening, and I hope you can join me next time for the next part on the revolutions of 1848. Until then, all the best, and goodbye. deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.